Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast Paranormal Exposed. This is the evidence-based podcast that looks into paranormal occurrences here across the United States. I'm your host, Michelle, and I am a skeptic by nature, but I really do want to be a believer. I am intrigued by the paranormal and open to the possibilities of what might be out there. So join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and present to you what is real, what is not real, and what just might be in between. I will present the historical facts as well as the paranormal reports and see where the two meet. So join me in exposing the paranormal. This week's episode takes place in Lakehurst, New Jersey. And this is a pretty famous occurrence. Most of you, if not all of you listeners, will have heard about this incident. This is the tale of the Hindenburg crash site. Before I get into the haunted occurrences, of course I'm going to give you some of the history behind the crash and the zeppelins. So whether you call them airships or zeppelins or blimps, whatever you may want to, these are big, pretty much helium or hydrogen gas-filled balloons that roam the skies such as the Goodyear blimp that you might see traveling the United States if you live in the States. So Zeppelins have been around since the late 1700s, but they really weren't practically used until that is July of 1900. And why July is important is this really began the golden age of airships. And this was when the first successful launch of an airship happened, and it was in Germany. After this launching, many other countries wanted to get on board with making the airships, and different countries, including the U.S., Italy, France, Russia, and Japan, all went about making different airships and using them in warfare and all sorts of other things. In the 1930s, though, the use of Zeppelins really tapered off, and only Germany really continued to pursue using airships. In the 1930s, Germany offered passenger service from Frankfurt, Germany to Recife, Brazil. And this journey on the airship took about 68 hours. But the Germans, you know, they always wanted to have the next technological advance, and they really wanted to build a ship that would cross the Atlantic to the United States. This is where the Hindenburg came in, and this airship was made by the German Zeppelin Company. At the time it was built, it was the largest airship in the world. It was able to hold over 7 million cubic feet of gas in 16 gas cells for the ship. That might sound like a lot, but it was very necessary because it had to lift up a 250-ton ship. And along with the need for the gas, they also needed engines to power the ship forward. And they used four 1,100-horsepower diesel engines. So putting this in perspective, this was a massive airship. It was 804 feet long and 135 feet in diameter. Giving you a little bit of a concept of what that means is if you have seen the Goodyear blimp, 
you would think it's an impressive blimp size, right? But the Goodyear blimp is only 192 feet long. That's over 600 feet shorter than the Hindenburg. And for those of you more familiar with maybe the length of a football field, a football field is 360 feet long. So you could literally lay two football fields end to end, and it still wouldn't be enough to fit the airship. So it was a monstrosity. And the ship itself, while it was so big, it actually only was able to hold 50 to 70 passengers plus crew members. In the ship, there were 20 heated cabins for guests to rest in. There was a dining room, a reading and writing room, and there was even a smoking room. Guests also had bathrooms with showers, and there was a promenade so that the guests could actually enjoy the beautiful views as they were on the airship. The Hindenburg had a maximum engine speed of 84 miles an hour, though the ship's normal cruising speed was about 78 miles per hour. If there was favorable wind that could assist the airship in moving forward, they could go as fast as 188 miles an hour, which remember at this time, commercial flight was not really a thing, so going that fast was pretty impressive at the time. On March 4th of 1936, the Hindenburg made her debut flight, and in that year, she actually made 17 transatlantic trips, including a trip to Lakehurst, New Jersey. Now, use of the Hindenburg was not something that your average Joe could afford. For example, in 1936, it would cost you $400 to go one way on the Hindenburg. This would be $7,800 today. And in 1937, it went up to $450 each way from the U.S. and Germany. And that would be $8,400 today. So if you're making a round-trip journey, I mean, you're talking anywhere from fifteen dollars to $17,000. Now, if you're a first-class flyer to you know, Britain and so forth nowadays, you might be kind of looking at that same cost. So just think of it as a first-class flight. They also, in addition to taking passengers, they would also do mail deliveries between the um, Europe and the States. And that was because the flight wasn't always full and it was very expensive to run the Hindenburg. So that was another way that they could make a little bit of extra cash. On May 3rd of 1937, the Hindenburg left the Rhine Main Airport in Frankfurt, Germany, and it was bound for Lakehurst, New Jersey as its final destination. The average time for this journey was pretty quick for the day. It was just shy of about 37 hours to make that trip. When it left the Rhine Main Airport, it was not holding a full passenger list, it only had 36 passengers on board, and remember, it could have held 50 to 70. There was also 61 crew members on board, but it was fully booked for its return flight to Germany. The flight was manned by Captain Max Pruss, as well as Captain Ernest Lehmann. 
From the start of the flight, it really was a struggle due to a lot of weather issues that the ship came about. The first one was it came in contact with a storm that prevented it from crossing the English Channel and delaying its crossing by quite a bit of time. It was then blown off course on its way to the U.S. towards Newfoundland. On May 6 of 1937, after various setbacks, the Hindenburg was completing its first journey of the year from Germany, and at 3 o'clock that day, it passed over Manhattan. There's tons of pictures of this because it passed pretty low and it was really neat, but it was also way behind schedule. So at 6 o'clock that evening, it finally made its way to New Jersey's Naval Air Station in Lakehurst, New Jersey. But again, weather prevented the landing because there was heavy rain. They had to actually circle around over New Jersey for about an hour because of the rain. At 7 o'clock that evening, the storm finally passed and the ship was able to approach the mooring station. The landing that they were going to complete would be called a high mooring landing. And this is basically when the airship lands in the air by using mooring ropes to secure the ship from moving. After the ship is secured, it will then be winched down via the ropes to ground level where people could then exit and enter the ship. The reason they did it this way is it took a lot less ground crew to complete the landing, although it was a little bit more time consuming. Nine minutes later at 7.09 p.m., the ship made a sharp turn because in their attempts to land, the ground crew actually wasn't ready. So they turned around again at 7.11 and approached the landing site. At 7.14, the captain finally issued the orders that they could set the engines to stop. But the wind changed again, making it so they had to make another sharp turn. Eventually, they were able to turn back towards the landing, and at 7.21 p.m., the ship finally dropped its mooring ropes. The port line was connected to the ground via the winch, but they hadn't been able to do the starboard line yet. And unfortunately, they never got that chance, because four minutes later at 7.25 p.m., witnesses reported seeing the fabric fluttering near the upper fin and it looked like it might have been experienced a gas leak. Other witnesses reported blue discharges, possibly from static electricity. Moments later, at 7.25 p.m., the Hindenburg actually caught on fire. On board of the ship, explosions were heard and a shock was felt. The crew in the front of the ship didn't actually realize that the ship was on fire at first. They thought that the shock they felt was from the mooring rope being jerked by the winch. The fire spread pretty quickly on the ship, and the ship actually began descending towards the ground tail end first. The fire engulfed the ship, burning all the fabric away pretty quickly and the airship eventually ended up crashing to the ground. During its crash to the ground, the Hindenburg burst into flames and was pretty much completely destroyed. This was very, very quick. It actually took less than a minute from the first signs of trouble till the ship actually crashed to the ground, 
and only 30 minutes from the beginning of the landing sequence. Part of the reason for the quickness of the fire and so forth is because the ship was actually designed to be filled with helium gas. Though, due to restrictions from the U.S. on exports to Nazi Germany, they weren't able to get the helium gas, so they filled the ship with a more flammable gas, which was hydrogen. So once the hydrogen burned, it was pretty quickly overtaking the ship. In the end, the fire was actually attributed to a gas leak, as well as atmospheric electricity, which ended up sparking the fire. There are many, many conspiracy theories about what actually caused the ship to burn and crash to the ground, but this, remember, is a paranormal podcast, not a conspiracy theory podcast. So if that's something you're really interested in, I would recommend looking at all the various theories on this, but we are going to go with the most known one, which is the gas leak. 36 of the 97 people on board ended up perishing, as well as one of the ground crew people. He perished after a piece of the Hindenburg actually landed on him. There were 13 passengers and 22 crew that passed away, plus your ground crew member. Five of these passengers were American. And there was actually also three dogs who perished, a German shepherd and two schnauzers. Now, one thing I will say is you can actually watch the entire series of events of the Hindenburg crash. And I am astounded and amazed that actually 62 people survived this experience. If you watch the video, which I'm going to post the link, it's just astounding. You would imagine that everyone would have perished on the ship. Now, the people who did survive, most of them were actually pretty severely injured and burned, but they did survive. So I would definitely recommend watching the video. There is a dialogue from a man named Morrison who witnessed the entire crash and was reporting on it. I will say that while you don't actually see anybody perish or anything like that, it is a very wrenching video. I mean, you know what's happening. It really is going to give you goosebumps and make you think about what those people went through, but it's definitely something that I would recommend watching. That said, there are tons and tons of pictures and video from the crash, as there was a lot of media personnel who was there documenting the first landing of the airship in New Jersey for that year. The next day, the Hindenburg disaster ended up airing on television, showing the world what happened and really shocking people. This was actually the end of the golden era of the airship. After this, they weren't used anymore for obvious reasons. People just lost their, I guess, faith in using the airship travel. The fire from the Hindenburg crash burned for a long time. It was very hot, and the embers were hot even the next day. This actually made it more difficult for rescuers to recover the bodies even the next day. The burned and injured people from that night, they were treated on site at the medical center, 
and then as ambulances arrived, they would be sent to nearby hospitals as needed. Unfortunately, some people did die on site after their injuries or in the hospitals. They remember a lot of them were severely burned and inhaling that hot smoke and the fire. It was just a lot. The crash site location is located at the Joint Base Military Base. It's called the McGuire-Dix Lakehurst Military Facility. You can actually visit the site and it is identified by there's a large, large yellow chain that surrounds a ground marker. And this marked off area is actually the area where the gondola portion of the ship crashed down. There's also a, a bronze plaque that commemorates the area. In addition to touring the crash site, you can actually tour the Hangar 1, which can contains some of the artifacts from the airship itself, as well as some of the other buildings on site. In 1968, Hangar 1 was added to the Registry of Historical Sites, and Hangar 1 is actually where the Hindenburg was supposed to be housed after it landed, although unfortunately it never made it there. Hangar 1 is actually now used as a training facility for flight deck personnel, and the only way to tour the site is by pre-booking a tour. You can do this online, and the only thing is you have to do it well in advance, weeks, so that um, you can be thoroughly screened. Is remember this is still an active military base. And unfortunately for everyone living outside of the U.S., you must be a U.S. citizen in order to tour the facility. Now that we're done with the history portion, we are going to go into the paranormal reports and history that people have reported. First off, some air traffic controllers have actually reported seeing on radar something that would be shaped like the airship, although it's never seen, and drops off the radar quickly after. In addition, there have been reports of the shadow of the Hindenburg floating itself overhead, though when the person looks up, there's actually nothing there. As far as the hauntings at the crash site, people don't really see a lot of apparitions or anything. There will be some shadow figures that are witnessed, though the most that people claim is that they hear voices. And sometimes those voices are speaking in German, and sometimes they're speaking in English. Some of the things people hear are saying people saying that she's on fire, away the lines, which was a term for the mooring, or they just hear generally people warning them to get away from the crash site. Like they're trying to save these people because they feel like the crash is happening at that time. In Hangar 1, this is actually one of the main areas that people state are haunted. Something that people will hear is the sounds of, the, of engines running when nothing is being used or worked on in the hangar. Now remember, the blimp never actually entered the hangar, although this might be the dead crew members actually just trying to keep doing their job. Maybe they don't even 
don't even realize that they passed away. This might also account for the reports of shadow people seen around the hangar as well. One other report in Hangar 1 is people report the smell of burning flesh. Now, after the crash, unfortunately, a lot of people perished and were burnt. Remember, they were it took them a while to even get the bodies from the crash site due to the heat from the embers in the crash site. So, the smell was not great. It hung in the air for days. And actually, the next day after the crash, all the unidentified bodies were moved to the crew quarters that were in Hangar 1. It said that there was a total of 26 bodies that stayed here for two days waiting to be identified and then buried. Many of the bodies were kept in the tunnel connecting two of the hangars as it was actually cooler in there. And walking along this passageway, people will report seeing a man dressed in an old Navy uniform. And on his uniform is a pin of half wings, which signals a balloon pilot. As far as this apparition, one of the two pilots survived. They actually both survived the initial crash, although the, the one pilot actually died the next day at Paul Kimball Hospital due to the severity of his burns. The half-wing pin that people mention on the uniform, this is the pin for the U.S. Navy and Marines who were cleared as balloon pilots, though the pilots that were on the Hindenburg were both German. Their pins would have been silver with hot air balloons and a swastika symbol featured on them. So, as far as the pilot, I couldn't find any reference of a pilot who has died at the facility who was a balloon pilot, and the figure of scene would not have been either of um, the pilots because, again, they would not have had that pin and they were German. In addition to those things that are seen and felt, people will also say they just feel a heavy, eerie feeling. But with that, if you've ever been to a place where you know a lot of people have died, it really is an eerie feeling. You get goosebumps, you get chills. It's just a strange feeling because you can think about what happened at that place. People also hear yelling. They report being touched. They see apparitions and, again, shadow people. They will also hear footsteps or people running, but when they turn around and look, there's no one there. And one of the weirdest reports is people will actually state they hear others calling them by their personal name. So there's a lot going on at Hangar 1. The next place that there are reports of paranormal activity is at the medical building on site of the um, naval base. And some of the wounded were actually taken here, and some of them ended up passing away at the medical building. As far as the reports of what has happened at the medical building is at the admittance station. So when you would first come into the medical building to find if you needed a room, people state that there's an apparition scene, and it floats by and heads towards the bathroom there. 
in the basement, people report a shadow figure, and it will actually follow the people up the stairs, which admittedly is a little bit creepy. So people will run up the stairs to get away from it, and they'll actually then get stuck. The door will get stuck and not let you out. And the strangest part of that is the door doesn't actually lock. There are also reports of loud crashes that are heard throughout the facility. One specific report was actually by an employee. And this employee heard a loud crash. So, of course, they went to investigate. And they found that an entire rack of pamphlets had been dropped on the floor. And all the pamphlets had been scattered about. The employee, a little annoyed apparently told the entity that he didn't do it and he wasn't going to clean it. So he said, quote, you do it, end quote. The next day, he came to work and everything was cleaned up and put away like it hadn't happened. No other staff also reported doing the work, so the employee assumed that it was whatever spirit had done it in the first place. There are also reports of lights turning on and off by themselves people hearing footsteps throughout the hallway when no one is there, and various doors throughout the medical center will rattle or slam. According to the naval air base physician from the time of the crash, his name was Lieutenant Carl Victor Green Jr., and he gave an account as to how the medical center was used. He stated that the ambulance garage at the medical center was used as a temporary morgue for those who passed away at the medical center. The man from the ground crew who was hit by the falling debris, he was actually brought to the medical center and died there. There were also several injured who apparently died here as well, with an estimate from Carl Victor Green Jr. of about six people who passed away that night at the Naval Air Base Medical Center. The only thing I have to say about the medical center specifically is why is there no picture or video evidence of any of the occurrences? For example, in the admittance station and where the pamphlets would be displayed to visitors of the medical center. All these areas are in a military base. There would be cameras everywhere, making sure that nothing is going on that shouldn't. So things like the pamphlet incident and so forth, there should be something caught on camera. Although maybe this is because the naval base is not really looking to share paranormal activity, I don't know. I would also think there are some cameras in Hangar 1, so I would think there had been something that should maybe have been caught on camera with that as well. At the end of the day, this was a horrible tragedy. I could see how some of the dead would want to, who would be staying on after such a tragedy. Some might not realize they are dead, or some are stuck here after dying in such a horrible way. And some of the reports do seem pretty far-fetched, such as the pamphlets falling over or the reports of the military man with the pin. While those don't seem to be true, I can't really rule out that there are some forms of activity here. So definitely might be a place to check out 
but not only because of the paranormal activity, but this is a really historic site. A lot of people passed away here, and I'm actually going to post the names of those who perished, both crew and passengers, so that we can pay tribute to them, as I don't feel that we should just be focusing on the paranormal stories that these people left behind. They all had lives. These were real people. Now, I would love to hear your thoughts on whether you think the Hindenburg crash site is haunted or not. Maybe you've had a personal experience you'd like to share or some proof you might have, or even some other facts that you'd like to share about the Hindenburg experience. I'd also love to hear your feedback on this episode itself and suggestions you may have for any future episodes. So make sure, again, that you tune in every Wednesday, wherever you tune in, and don't forget to leave a review and follow this podcast so you know as soon as a new episode is ready. Also, follow me on on the podcast social media for more information on each episode, including pictures, links, and so much more. You can follow me on Facebook at Paranormal Exposed, on Instagram at The Paranormal Truth, or you can always email me at Paranormal Exposed Podcast at gmail.com. Again, thanks for tuning in, and I will catch you all next Wednesday.